Welcome to Sound As Ever, an Australian music vault podcast produced by young content producers and radio makers interested in exploring stories and issues in the Australian music scene. This episode discusses the barriers young people face within the live music scene and explores why live music is an important part of the youth identity. This episode was produced by Rebecca Macasa and Bridget Burke. Australia is known for its large and diverse live music scene. We've had rockers, punks, sharpies, jazz fanatics and teeny boppers covering fans from every genre across generations. Australia is the place for live music. Every generation has been amongst it. Just ask your mum, your brother, your nan even. Everyone's been obsessed with an Aussie musician and have craved their presence on the stage. But is the opportunity for young people to see live music on the decline? As the years go on, there are more liquor licensing laws. With the cost to put on live shows skyrocketing, there are less incentives for artists and venues to do multiple shows, including ones that cater to an underage audience. In this episode, we explore what it's like being a young person in Australia wanting to see live music and what it's looking like for future generations. Meet Josh. He's a young media maker living in Melbourne. But live music wasn't always just a few tram stops away. He grew up in Bustleton, a town three hours south of Perth, with a population of about 22,000. Bustleton was a very quiet town and still is a very quiet town in terms of the music scene there. So there's a bigger town a bit north of us called Bunbury, which sort of got people the size of, say, like a British India. But for any uh, larger acts, it was pretty much ruled out. That was until a, a festival called Southbound, which was a large festival, which brought some big acts. We had people like Arctic Monkeys, uh, the Flaming Lips, the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs, but that was just the one time of the year. So you had one weekend to watch all of your live music, and then after that, you were travelling. So the first act I ever saw, it was at the West Coast Blues and Roots Festival in Fremantle. My dad took my mate Jack and I up to the festival to see Wolf Mother. They were the, the biggest band in the world to Jack and I, and we were we thought we were being real rock stars and pushing our way to the front of the barrier to be able to see this band who we idolise. In reality, a lot of people were letting us go through because we were so small. They probably felt sorry for us. Having that experience and seeing um, Andrew Stockdale up there shredding on his guitar, it was really special because we had not ever like seen anything like that before. Yeah, Wolf Mother was pretty special at the time. What an incredible first live music experience to have. And living in Australia, that's what a lot of our first experiences are like. There seems to be a lot of blues, rock, roots festivals that your parents would take you to. But not all of us have parents that are into music and who can drive us all that way. We sat down with some inner Melbourne teens, Evie, Claire, Harry and Luke, to hear their thoughts on the current yeah, festival structure. Yeah. Because seeing the same like, couple of bands, couple of bands in yeah. the indie surf rock scene, like, yeah, yeah no, that's... okay, it's fun, but like... I think one of the things that yeah. is like usually what happens with festivals is like all festivals are pretty much overage minus things like Grooven. But yeah, 90% of festivals are overage and then 100% to 90% of all the sideshows are overage as well because the festivals are in charge of booking the venues and the festival managers are in charge of where these bands play. So yeah, I, that's the problem that festivals 100% don't think about the um, underage market and don't cater for the underage market. I have a big problem with like 
music and alcohol a little bit. Like, you know, I know that they kind of go hand in hand. But even working in the music industry and it's like part of the culture and like if you don't, you're not part of the culture then you're not really, you know, if you don't drink heavy and go out really late at night then you don't really know anything about it. I mean, but it's just kind of, it feels like destructive and it feels exploitative almost. Yeah. Like it's like you come along and you see a band or a festival and you kind of have alcohol like shoved down your throat. At like yeah. Not literally, but... This group of teens are pretty special. They were a part of a program called New Slang in 2017, an initiative that gets young people involved in creating live events. There's monthly events at the Arts Centre, and it's one way that young people have been at the forefront of the music industry. The New Slang team also put on special events during the school holidays. Last year, they curated a high tea and music experience. Here's Harry. We did a we did a gig actually last year where we um, had a partnership with Parliament House, and it was all ages. It was free, no alcohol event, but there was still you know plenty of. They actually did high tea, you know, in like traditional Parliament House sort of style. And so there's all these kids from areas all over the place that you know are not fancy at all, but they're still being um, included into this whole high tea sort of thing. And that was a really fun experience to get a lot of people into this um, venue that was never made for live music and have this very inclusive setting and I feel like that that's maybe a good idea that we could do is in try and experiment with different places to hold live music, different places that don't necessarily need or hold alcohol licenses and places that aren't you know so um, motivated into making a dollar over including what's necessarily going to be you know the future of live music which is kids our age and kids all over the country. I went to um, Golden Plains Festival over the weekend and while it is still a overage festival, it is completely uncorporate. There's no sponsorship or anything like that. There's no incentive for you to get, uh, you know, pissed drunk. And there's also a system they have in place where if you are underage, if you can get a legal parent or guardian to come with you, then you're allowed to go. And I think that that's really responsible and exciting for young kids because there's still plenty of big name acts at this festival. There was Thundercat and King Cruel and big international acts that you'd never see elsewhere. Josh also expresses the importance of exposure to live music at a young age. When you're under 18, you obviously aren't allowed to, to buy alcohol. And I think that that can linger on in people. They've been to these gigs sober. They're there for the music. And I think that carries over into adulthood as well. For people who haven't attended gigs until they're 18, they may be seeing it as a drinking day or night and not a music day or night. Um, so they might not have the, the sensibility to watch the band without that social lubricant of alcohol to really enjoy themselves. I think that people who have been there before, they know that they can watch a gig sober and really enjoy the night without it, um, can control themselves more, I guess, and have a bit more of a of a musical experience rather than uh, a drinking experience with music in the background. Current law in Victoria stipulates that minors can be on licensed premises, providing alcohol is not served, sold or made available. But almost every music venue does serve and sell alcohol when live music events are put on. It is also interesting to note that current legislation also says minors can consume alcohol in certain situations safely and supervised, such as having a meal with parents or a guardian in a restaurant. However, when we are seeing live music, we are generally not wanting to eat a full meal 
or attend with our parents. We reached out to Stephen from Sookie Lounge, a licensed venue located in Melbourne's outer suburbs in Belgrave. We asked him if they offer up gigs for the underage community. Um, we've had a couple of events offered to us and we have declined because essentially the amount of logistics to make that work for us is virtually impossible. We don't have a separate room where we can do that. I mean there's also the, the security as well which you do require for that sort of stuff. For us unfortunately, while we do want to do it, it's in the too hard basket. As you can imagine, Keeping a bar closed for an event means a hefty chunk of potential profit for the business is lost. And this means owners and operators need to weigh up if it's worth putting on an underage event. The sentiment we gathered was although these laws are in place with concern to the problems alcohol can create, for the most part, young people are solely focused on attending the event for the music. Back to Josh about his regional festival highlights. The next year we went to the Southbound Festival in Barcelona at the time, so it was a bit more accessible to us. We didn't have to, to go with our parents. At the time, the, the festival was an under-18s show. So it was myself, Jack, all of our other mates, the whole crew went. And having that, I guess, big social event with lots of people who you know, that was really special because everyone was there. Everyone was experiencing the same thing at the same time. And yeah, I guess that first festival experience really kicked it off for everyone else because Myself and Jack are the people saying to our mates, let's all go to this festival in Boston. And we probably knew about eight of the acts. We were like, let's go, because this is a really sick thing to do. Whether or not you know the band, I reckon it's just going to be fun regardless. So, yeah, that festival definitely triggered something within us and, yeah, really pushed us to explore live music as much as we could by being young people without licences in a regional area. We did as much as we can to experience more. We've all had that one festival that tips you over the edge and turns you into a festival fiend. For me, that was the Pushinks Pushover Festival. I went the year Parkway Drive headlined and I got to see all my favourite local hardcore acts weaved in with some incredible hip-hop and R&B. It definitely set the tone for the rest of my live music experiences. And after talking to Kate Duncan, now the CEO of the Pushink, it seems like this was the case for a lot of other young people as well. The Pushover Festival, yeah, played a really important role in the formative years for people. Continuing to do projects like that, I guess, um, is definitely around the space that Pushover was delivering in the 90s and 2000s. So it's, it's definitely something that we, we see the importance in and will continue doing. The Push are passionate about providing young people with the opportunity to experience live music. And this isn't just limited to inner Melbourne. It stretches out across regional Victoria, where they regularly work with the well-known youth music program, Freezer, to provide workshops for regional youth. I was up in Mildura last week, hanging out up there. Um, it's so easy to think that you know what's going on from an office in Brunswick, but the moment that you actually, you know, drive four hours away, you just see firsthand how isolated those communities can be and the limited opportunities that they have. Mildura is not exactly on the touring schedule of many artists, so um, it's really important that we can support those communities with the, the skills and networks to try and have the same opportunities that we have here on Sydney Road. We recognise, particularly through our freezer program as well, although we are talking about these challenges in metropolitan areas and, you know, delicensing and um, venues wanting to do shows and stuff, that 
there are different barriers in regional areas. So yeah, we recognise how taking out industry representatives to regional areas is like super important for those networks and inspiration and um, business outcomes. One person who has benefited from the Freezer programs reaching out to regional communities is Joe Tui. Now the CEO of Regional Arts Victoria, Joe remembers his first Freezer gig. It is a defining moment in my life, the first freezer gig that I attended in Wodonga. Um, and in fact, I credit that experience with a lot of what I ended up doing in my professional life later on. Vividly remember it was in, it was in Wodonga because Aubrey's in New South Wales and the freezer program is a Victorian program. It was Jebediah on tour and the support band was Motor Ace and both bands that, you know, I listened to on, uh, it would have been Triple J in, in Albury and really admired and was really excited about and couldn't believe that they were in, in my town. I remember Pat, the singer from Motor Ace, had red hair or pink hair. There was some kind of really bright shade of it. Uh, I remember Jebediah doing an encore. I remember seeing a mosh bit for the first time and I was like maybe 15. And I remember mum had to come and drop us off and pick us up because it was in Wodonga and the public transport that we couldn't get that there. The other thing that I saw at the gig that really made me think or really inspired me was the volunteer freezer committee members working side stage, that one of whom I knew from school and seeing and thinking, I can't believe that he gets to meet this band um, and saw that uh, and, and had a moment much later on where I realised and had a chance to, to work on a freezer committee myself, how important that role was in making it all happen. And now we'll often reflect on that moment as a bit of a, without knowing it at the time, noticing that and that that image stayed with me, that desire to make things happen, I guess, has been what has driven my professional interest in the arts alongside my, you know, my personal passion for just witnessing and participating. After having first-hand experiences of some of the great initiatives that helped him and his friends get amongst the art community, Joe got involved with Regional Arts Victoria and made his way up to the CEO role he is at today. I think organisations like Regional Arts Victoria are important as a bit of a, a bit of a link, a bit of a broker, a bit of uh, a connection to a lot of the decision makers, particularly around funding. We have four workers who are based in regional Victoria. They don't write the grants because a big part of our work is about building the skills of people to be able to do those kind of things themselves. So sometimes it's about guiding them that, that through that process. We'll often provide feedback on either drafts or ideas or thoughts or comments on eligibility of the fund. Um, but ultimately we're trying to pass the skill of actually writing it onto the communities and artists. It's access to those resources that help art be made rather than there being any kind of deficiency of the arts, artists and attendants that exist in regional Victoria. It's, it's access to those things to make that process a little bit easier, I think, where, where there tend to be some additional challenges in regional Victoria. So it's not just inner Melbourne kids that are creating and are interested in music. But growing up, are they seeing enough live music? Here's Kate, reflecting on her time as a teen in the 90s. I think the culture's changed. I don't know, like, I feel like when I was growing up and going to all-ages gigs in the 90s, like, they were everywhere in pubs. Like, every weekend you could go to the Punners Club or the Evelyn and, um, you know, go to those kinds of shows. But, um, it's yeah, it's very much less so now. And I think, yeah, it's just priorities maybe have shifted. It was a thing if your favourite band 
you know, spider bait or regurgitator were doing a tour. A lot of artists did more regional tours as well. Like they'd put out a, a tour release, like, you know, here's, we're, we're putting out this album called Unit and we're gonna do like a 30 date tour. That, that's very rare these days. I saw Smith Street Band have just recently announced they're doing a 33 date tour with Beck Sandridge and Press Club. And it's like, that is so unheard of. They're doing Alice Springs, Launceston, like all over the country. It's like most artists these days when they do a, in quotes, national tour, it's just major capital cities. So that's how it kind of used to be. Artists would jump on the road and, and go to all of those regional towns and would also do all ages shows. Like it was just side by side. That was how it was done. So I think just over the years that models changed and priorities just shifted elsewhere. The new slang team are hands-on. They orchestrated Live at the Steps, an all-ages free public event that was planned at the steps of Parliament House. Last year, in 2017, it got so big, it was moved to the nearby Treasury Gardens. This was a testament to the obvious demand that Australia's youth have in wanting these events. And despite a decline in all-ages events since the 90s, its hunger is still alive. I can't think of an all-ages event that I've been to that didn't have an amazing atmosphere and that had, you know, people who were really inclusive and caring in the mosh pit, but you're all just having a good time. And, like, the 2016 Live at the Steps was a great example of that, and the 2017 one that we threw last year was also a pretty good example of that. I've seen Skeggs twice at um, Wrangler, which was, it was pretty sweaty, but it was also very fun and... Uh, I also saw the Jungle Giants a couple of months ago last year when I was still underage at Croxton and that was a really fun show. Yeah, those, those sort of shows, they really make me think that underage people are just so eager to break into that market. This is what excites me so much about what's going on right now and standing there on November 17 last year surrounded by 10,000 people that were all there for the music that had been programmed by a group of high school kids. There's definitely some momentum and there is definitely a need there and young people are wanting to see live music more than ever. We just have to champion that and make sure that there's more opportunities for them to access that because, yeah, if you book them, they will come. <laughs> when underage music fans are denied the privilege of seeing live music, it promotes a feeling of exclusion. Evie and Claire from New Slang told us about this frustration and the measures they have taken to attend overage gigs in the past. It is evident that there is a strong relationship between the alcohol and music industries relying upon one another for the sponsorship of live music events. Claire and I, we sneak into overage shows now. <laughs> like, we've yeah. had enough. Like, no, none of the acts that we really like, like laneway side shows, that was a big... Like for yeah, us, like bad. no one put on all ages yeah. shows or under eighteen shows, show. and yeah. we're like, we can't miss these opportunities. Like these are bands that don't really come out, and we're just gonna do it. And that happened, yeah. and they're probably <laughs> some of our favourite gigs. But like, it's not the same community as you get as an all ages or an mm. underage gig, um, which is something really important to us, especially being young in the music industry. So we like. Gigs that, hmm. Obviously, this method is not ideal. However, it does highlight the determination and mindset that underage music fans have 
in craving being able to be a part of this scene. This anecdote highlights that most young fans are in it for the music and not the appeal of alcohol. But why should underage kids have access to live music? Can't they just wait until they're 18? Josh and Kate both emphasise that allowing underage audiences to be a part of the live music scene will mean they come back as adults and therefore contribute more to the music industry economy and community. Under 18 gigs are really necessary and they really ignite that passion within you from the get-go. And so I think rather than holding people back until they're 18 to experience this kind of gig, then only having, I don't know, say 10 years of experience where they're going out and seeing bands all the time. If you're seeing gigs when you're 13, 14, 15, all ages gigs, then you've given you've an extra five years or so to these bands who are playing and also to the, the venues who are hosting it. And I guess like alcohol sales can be the major driving force behind um, venues holding stuff. But then things like merch sales and stuff can also contribute as well. Um, and I think under 18s are in a bracket where they have like, they don't have a high number of disposable income, but the amount that they have is all entirely disposable. If you're still living with your parents, you don't need to pay rent, you don't need to pay rego, things like that. So all of the money you have, you're very happy to spend on your favourite band shirts. You know, one, two, three, four of the same band shirts because you feel like you're really contributing and supporting. Kate agrees with Josh. I think over the last few years, the way in which artists do tours and play live shows, that's changing. Uh, and so therefore, yeah, we're, we're seeing less artists prioritising doing all ages shows. And we've been doing a lot of work around this, asking industry why that's the case. And financial barriers is something that's identified as a, as a real challenge for artists that accessing venues during the day you know you have to pay for the venue hire and because the venues aren't making money off booze over the bar like uh it's yeah it's there's a cost barrier there so um if if anyone's listening to this that is in that position and they and they do think it's too hard or and that that is a real mindset oh it's just too hard like we just book this tour and we'll make the money and and i get that but um yeah you know talk to us at the push or talk to music new south wales and let's try and find a way that we can make it less prohibitive it's a it's a stupid stupid missed opportunity because these are the people who are going to be coming to your shows you know, when your current audience are all at home being mums and dads or just boring people. <laughs> so obviously there are some major hurdles in place preventing young people from accessing live music. However, these are particularly amplified in regional areas of Australia. So the biggest barrier that I faced in terms of getting to, to live music as a young person in a regional area was the financial side of things. Um, a, getting a ticket to the gig and B, uh, being able to afford transport to the gig itself. That kind of changed when your first friend gets their red peas because then that has that sense of freedom and uh, they will nine times out of ten take you to these kind of things if they're into the, the same band. Uh, so that makes things a lot easier. Living in the state of Western Australia generally, the only way to get to gigs really is if you're not within walking distance is through driving. Um, so that makes it really hard for under 18 people People who are over 18 might not have 
uh, the access to the car, they might not be able to afford it or for whatever reason not have that kind of access. Whereas in Melbourne, it's very different in that the public transport system can get people where they need to be generally. I guess a lot of the hotspots in the city and stuff are fairly accessible from for public transport. When I was at home, I owned a car and drove it everywhere. I haven't owned a car since I moved over here and have not had any significant issues. Josh and many others would love to see regional gigs closer to home. One perspective he offered was that doing so might build a future live audience and people working in the music industry. Yeah, I think it's very important for, for young people, especially in rural or regional areas, to be able to experience live music because it, it really ignites a passion in these people from a young age. And I think that's, that's really crucial because having that flame burning from a young age, especially in the age of the internet, that can really translate from one gig at one pub in one regional area that can lead that person on to exploring and finding heaps of new music online and then that could lead them into becoming uh, say a manager or some sort of influencer on, on that side of things. I've got mates at home who are really into their, their music and have become um, uh, super users on Triple J on Earth and have really looked to bolster their career through using that online sort of stuff and I think that having those underage experiences are really, really crucial to igniting that. And without those kind of gigs kicking it off, then there's no way to ignite that flame. One way that youth can get involved in the industry, but is not by making music necessarily, is holding a board position for an organisation. Joe from Regional Arts Victoria emphasises that a barrier stopping young people's voices coming through might be the daunting aspect of talking to a group of older, more senior figures about their ideas and not being familiar with certain processes. And if there are young people who are making music or art in regional Victoria, I understand that there are a lot of barriers. Uh, there are a lot of barriers to that. And I understand that sometimes that means if you're trying to join a committee that's got power, for example, to put on these kind of events and you can't get access to that, or you're invited on but then you're not listened to or ignored, that must be incredibly frustrating. But I would just like to reassure you that there's more than one way to get things done and you don't necessarily need to engage with those existing structures and committees and, and environments to get stuff done, you can just kind of do it yourself. Find that person, find that stakeholder, find that one person who can guide you through strange council processes and how to book a venue and how to write a funding application and do a risk assessment. Find somebody who can guide you through that. But don't feel that the only way to get things done is by joining something that already exists because I, I can tell you that some of the most successful and exciting things were started because people saw a gap that wasn't meeting their needs and they just kind of got on and done it. They're the ones that I that I love seeing and being uh, and being an audience member for. We are seeing a resurgence in all age events. Even during the making of this podcast, communities are coming together with the existing initiatives like Freezer and the Push, and they're putting on events for their younger members. There's been all ages events for Morat, Kate, Smith Street Band, even international acts like Mac DeMarco. Such events and programs are progressive steps in ensuring there is a live music scene for young Australians to be a part of, on stage, behind the scenes and in the crowd. Thanks for listening to Sound As Ever, an Australian Music Vault podcast. 
This episode was produced by Rebecca Macasa and Bridget Burke. Thanks to Sin Media, supporting partner of the Australian Music Vault.